Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Centers podcast. I wanted to just quickly introduce myself. Um, my name is Monica. And I started practicing yoga about 10 years ago uh, in, while I was in college. And then about seven years ago, I started practicing Ashtanga yoga. And that's when I really got super dedicated to the practice. And 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 that's when I started practicing at Miami Life Center about seven years ago. And that's when I started a daily Mysore practice for Ashtanga Yoga. And then about three years into that, I started an apprenticeship program with Miami Life Center under the teachers there, under Tim and Kino and some of the other teachers there, Amelia, Alex, Eddie. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're all really amazing teachers. So then, and then after I did the apprenticeship program, that was a two-year program. And then I started managing the yoga studio and teaching a little bit. And I did that for, I think, about three years. And very recently, I stopped managing, and now I'm just focusing more on teaching. So I've kind of been through all of the hats of Miami Life Center. And that's been really interesting. And I've learned a lot through all aspects of yoga, like business and then the practice and then the teaching. I've spent a lot of time being a student and then learning how to teach, and then teaching. So it's all been a really interesting process. Um, so it's a very general overview of who I am and what I'm trying to do. Um, so today I wanted to talk about injuries because I know that's something that comes up a lot in Ashtanga Yoga because of the nature of the practice and maybe because of the culture a little bit, which I think some of the flaws come from the culture of the practice, but I don't want to talk about that too much. But so there's a lot of opportunities for us to run into injuries with not only Ashtanga, but I guess anytime you do something physical, anytime your practice, your daily ritual involves the body, there's a lot of opportunity to injure, injure our body. And that sort of becomes an obstacle to our practice. So something that for me has become really important for not just physical health, but mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. When we have a physical injury, we feel like okay, now I won't be able to have access to any of those things that are helping me in all of these different aspects in my life. So that's what I experienced. So I've, I have had two very different experiences with injury within the practice. And I feel like, you know, going through those experiences and then also comparing those two experiences, I've, I've, I've learned a lot about the practice and about how to approach injury for me in particular. So one thing I also wanted to kind of touch upon was that this, these, are gonna, these are my experiences with injury. And something I've realized is that everybody's path, pathway from injury into healing is different. So I've had my experience in my particular pathway and some tools that I've used that have been really helpful along that pathway. And so like your pathway may look really different with similar tools. So we kind of share tools to kind of like, okay, I'll use this tool, I'll use that tool and create my own path. So just keeping that, I like to really make sure that my students always have a very clear idea that my path doesn't have to look like your path and your path doesn't have to look like my path. We kind of just share with each other things that have worked for us. And then you kind of use those tools and then evaluate whether they work for you. Yeah. All right. So my first experience with injury was, I would say about like two months into my Mysore experience. I was, I started practicing Mysore with Miami Life Center. That was kind of when I like really just fell super hard for the practice and started practicing six days a week. Actually started more like four or five times a week. And then it slowly grew to six days a week. 
but so I, that's when I got really excited about Ashtanga and I was obsessed with it and I thought everybody should do Ashtanga and I was just like on this high with Ashtanga yoga I thought it was the best thing in the world I still do but I, I just don't I, I some days I don't have that like high excitement I, like I did at the beginning it was kind of like the honeymoon phase I'm sure you guys have all experienced this and like two or three months in, I fell off my bike. So it was an injury outside of the practice. I fell off my bike and I landed on my arm and I hurt my elbow. It wasn't, it wasn't too serious, but when I tried to put weight on it, like in downward facing dog, I, it hurt a lot. So I concluded that since I couldn't do a downward dog, then I had to stop practicing yoga. So I was at the beginning of my practice and I was still very much connected to the physical aspect of the practice because I mean, naturally that's how we start with the physical aspects, because we're working with our bodies, we're working with something tangible, that's like, easy to put our mind on and easy to put our focus on. So I figured like, okay, my body's not working properly, so that I need to stop practicing yoga. And I was off the mat during that time for about three or four months, I think. And, and looking back, I know it was more than I needed to, I think my, my elbow, it was my elbow that I hurt, it healed, I think about two months in. But losing that momentum of the practice made it so hard to come back. And I've talked to a lot of students with similar experiences that sometimes when you step away from the practice, coming back into the practice is so hard. Sometimes it's harder than coming into the practice the first time, you know. So having lost that momentum, it was really hard to get back into the practice. But that time off of the mat, even though I wasn't practicing, I feel like it was, it was really important for like strengthening my commitment to the practice because I had a period of time where I really got to see what yoga was doing for me because I wasn't practicing anymore. I think this is a David Swenson quote, which I really love, but it's, if you wanna know the benefits of yoga, stop practicing because then you'll see, you'll feel everything that you're not getting anymore from yoga. So it's harder to feel the, the subtle shifts that yoga does day by day because they're so subtle and they're kind of working on a really deep level, kind of and working their way out into the surface. But if you just stop practicing and then you stop feeling all of those benefits, it'll be such a sharp contrast that you're like, oh, that's what yoga was doing for me. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. So, 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 so yeah, so I was off my mat for about three months. And then when I finally got back, I felt like super sluggish. I felt like I had taken two steps back. You know, one of the main things that I experienced during the time I was off of my mat is I felt a lot of stagnation come back into my body and into my mind. I started to feel really sluggish and cloudy in my mind, which I was like, was I always feeling like this before yoga? And now I just realized it because I, I didn't I didn't experience it for the three months that I was really intensely practicing yoga. And then now I'm feeling it again. So it was kind of like this. I, was I feeling like this my whole life before yoga? But I, I mean, the one thing I did know was that I didn't want to feel like that, that like sluggish slowness. That was, that's kind of my tendency. I have more of like a cough tendency. So I tend towards like sluggish and like laziness and stagnation. So that really came back to me when I was off of the mat for those couple months. And then when I got back onto the mat, it was like, I, had, I felt like I took two steps back and I had to rebuild from the ground up. And it was like a really ungraceful transition, which is fine. It's part of the practice. So that was my first experience with injury. And then my second experience with injury was about, I think it was about two years ago. It was relatively recently. I, I injured my shoulder. And this was an injury that came from within the practice. 
I started to go into some more advanced asanas. I started to practice third series, which is a lot of arm balances, like really hard arm balances. And I realized that some of the movement patterns I had established throughout my practice, throughout all of the years I had been practicing were not efficient enough and they weren't precise enough to support me in those more advanced asanas. So it was sort of like the movement patterns I had established, they reached the threshold where they were like, okay, they were good enough to maintain you through primary series and second series, but they're not good enough to maintain you through third series. And so I started to injure my shoulder. Um, and, and I think this is something that, that, you know, will come up for anybody as they go deeper and they move into more advanced asanas. If your technique isn't precise enough to support a more advanced version of the basic version, then you'll, you'll reach, you'll hit a wall, you'll hit an obstacle. And then you'll need to, and then for me, what it was, I had to go back to the basics. So I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So I injured my shoulder and it was, to the point where like I, I and I kept he he hearing red flags. I, I kept getting alarm signals in my shoulder, like, please don't do that, please don't do that. You know, like it was subtle, it was like little subtle like pains in my, my shoulder joint. And I was just like, oh, I don't care. I really want to do a third series because it's cool and I'm doing really cool things. So I'm just going to ignore you for now. And then one day I couldn't bring my arms over my head. Like the pain had gotten so bad, I couldn't lift my arms over your head, which is the first posture in Ashtanga Yoga is Ekam Inhale. So, and I, I immediately freaked out and I got super emotional, which I'm sure if any of you have experienced injury is one of the things that comes up is that you get like lost in your emotions. You know, you're sad, you get frustrated. You think that you're, I'm, for me, I was like, I'm never going to practice yoga ever again. I'm not going to be able to do these postures ever again. And I felt really bad for myself, you know, a lot of self-pity. So, but when I realized I couldn't lift my arms over my head, I was like, okay, it's okay. I know that I can't stop practicing because of my first experience of injury. I didn't want to go back to that, having a phase of not having the practice and like coming back into that stagnation and just like, I just didn't want to go back there. So I was like, okay, I know I need to keep practicing yoga. And my definition of yoga at this point had expanded a little bit. So one thing about injury that's, that's really made me narrow in on, like, why do I practice? Like, what is, what is it in the practice? What is the essence of the practice that is really making, um, is really benefiting my life? And, is, and I feel like is, is really necessary component in my daily ritual of yoga. So it wasn't so much doing the postures like specific postures. It was moving the body, yes, but it wasn't, you know, doing specific postures that was giving me the benefits that was really, I felt were really changing my life. It was something deeper than that. And this is kind of like something I had to explore. Like, why am I practicing? What's the point of this? If I'm injured and I want to keep practicing, I need to find that seed, that source of why I practice so that I can maintain that aspect of the practice. So, and generally, some of the conclusions I came to is that yoga gave me a space, like a clearly defined space and time to just tune into my body, tune into my inner body and focus inwards and observe myself objectively. So without being so involved with myself, you know, like not being so self-absorbed, kind of like taking a step outside of myself and just looking in and being and, and just seeing what I find, like okay, what you're doing there is not helpful. What you're doing there, that's helpful. And then 
if I find something that's not helpful, if I find a reaction to something that's not useful, then just kind of observing it and trying to change those patterns. Um, so, and I, and you know, when I, when I realized that it was like, okay, Ashtanga yoga is really just a tool or like a means by which I can accomplish this, accomplish the process of tuning in and learning to control my reactions a little bit more, a little bit more gracefully. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't have to do third series in order to accomplish that. So what I did with the, the second experience of injury is I, at the beginning, it was all I can manage was like a very heavily modified standing postures. So I couldn't lift my arms or my head. So it was a lot of, it was just like inhale, don't lift my arms or my head. Exhale, fold forward, inhale, look up into half lift. Exhale, modified Chaturanga Dandasana with the knees on the floor. Or you know, actually at the beginning, I wasn't even bending the elbows. I was just holding myself in a plank. Inhale into upward facing dog, exhale into a child pose and a lot of other modifications in the standing postures. And so my asana practice, before I got injured, my asana practice was like 90 minutes. And then when I got injured, it went down to 20 minutes, which I was like, okay. I was like trying to stay calm for all of this. I was like, it's gonna be okay, 20 minutes. And then, and then I was doing 20 minutes of asana for like about a couple of weeks. And then I was like, I need more. I like, I hadn't realized how much like those, that hour of practice, how important that was for me. Cause I realized that it took me a little bit of time in the practice to really like drop down into the undercurrent and into that space of objective observation. Like I needed more than 20 minutes. It took me some time of like warming up, my brain going all over the place. And then finally like connecting inwards. It took me some time. So I was like, okay, I need more than 20 minutes. But I kind of, I felt like I had exhausted the 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 asana for the day like I didn't feel like I could do more than 20 minutes of asana because of my injury so I started looking for other uh, methods of practice and then I found pranayama so we have a really awesome pranayama program at Miami Life Center and I started doing pranayama which is it was a 45 minute practice which is pranayama is just the the practice of breathing so and there's a sequence Ashtanga Yoga has a sequence but you don't have to use a specific sequence and there's different methods of pranayama and it's really hard like pranayama is hard if you just if you're focusing on the breath and the different sequencings of pranayama for sitting for 45 minutes it really takes you inwards and it really focuses the mind and it even like heats up the internal body so it creates a lot of that tapas that we're looking for in the asana practice so i really felt like i was like oh i'm getting everything i need like i didn't feel like I was retracting backwards like I had in my first experience of injury where I was like, there's no more yoga in my life. I felt like it was like a really sufficient replacement for my advanced asana practice for the, while I was healing. And on that note, I felt like the pranayama also helped me, it facilitated my healing process because it kept moving energy in my body, which is something I realized, okay, that's really important. I need to move energy in the body and that to help create that, um, to help avoid the stagnation from building up. So that was kind of like an overview of my two experiences with injury. And I feel like having those two against each other and contrasting those two experiences have really like laid down the framework for myself about how I approach. And every time I, I come across an injury of like how to approach it. Um, one note also like in my first experience of injury where I stepped away from the practice for a little bit, 
Um, I, I think even though right now I would never do that, I, would, I wouldn't do that again. I still think that that was an important experience as a beginner because, so I kind of wanted to have like, okay, I have compassion for my journey as a beginner. It's like, I, w- I didn't do the wrong thing, you know? And I think if you had to step away from the practice for a little bit, that's okay too. It gave me a lot of perspective. And I also realized that I needed like, I needed the accountability of a teacher at that time. So like showing up for a class at a certain time with a certain teacher, I needed that at, when I was a beginner. When I got injured the second time, I had been in the practice a little bit longer and I felt like I had more like self accountability. And so I didn't need that as much. And I think that's what helped me to maintain the practice in the way that I've, I felt like I needed to maintain the practice. Um, so yeah, so let me just check in my notes and see where I'm going from this train of thought. Yeah, so I mean, and, and I wanna come back to the idea that like, you know, facing injury really made me narrow in on and get really, really clear on why am I practicing, you know, because that reason can't be to do beautiful asana. It can't be to execute this specific shape, because if that's your reason for practicing and you're injured, then you'll stop practicing. And, and then that also points to the fact that that's not the purpose of practicing. Those are just there as tools to accomplish a different purpose, the more spiritual, more holistic purpose. And our bodies are really useful because it gives us something to focus on, but that object of meditation can change. The object of meditation can be the breath and, or it can change into a, a, a sitting meditation practice where the object is a little bit different, which I'll talk about that later because that's become a new tool for me. Um, and then another thing that came up a lot for me was you know, a, a facing injury on the physical side was I needed to reestablish patterns. So one big thing for me in the second in the second experience of injury was that I came up against the thresholds with the movement patterns I had established, and they could no longer maintain the postures that I was I was being given, like the more advanced postures. So that was like, okay, I got to go back to the basics, and I literally went back to plank and chaturanga dandasana since it was in my shoulder. And I completely redefined what those postures meant to me. And, and I, even still, I'm constantly like tweaking that posture and exploring new ways of doing plank and chaturanga dandasana and like really slowing down the transition. And coming back to the basics, I like during the time that I was healing, because after I was doing heavily modified standing postures, I kind of slowly started going back into primary series. But that whole time I was moving really slowly and really consciously and just finding new movement patterns that more efficiently built strength and flexibility. So since I was so consciously moving through those basic postures, when I moved back into my advanced practice, I felt really strong and my body felt really good because I had like spent time figuring out how to efficiently build strength and flexibility through the basic postures. So even now, so today I'm just like, obsessed with the foundations and the basics. I think any level practitioner can always go back to the basics and discover something completely new to inform their practice and even to form their life off of the mat. I think there's so much information there in the basics. Um, and then, and so and another point to that end of going back to the basics, you know, it gave me, it shed some light in the, in the purpose of advanced postures. When I wasn't injured, I, you know, I needed those advanced postures because those took me to the edge of focus. 
you know, when you're doing something that's really easy for you, your mind can wander and you can start thinking about a million other things. But when something's hard or something's new or something's not as like deeply ingrained, um, you need to be really present and really focused. And so I needed those advanced asanas to like keep me present and keep me focused. It's a lot harder to stay focused in something really simple. But there is something to say about like doing something so simple with so much presence. I mean, that's a beautiful thing also, you know, like sitting like in the seated meditation. And then when I was injured, I didn't need the advanced asana to bring my attention inwards, which became a new like, oh, that's why I'm practicing yoga is to turn my attention inwards. But now that I'm injured, I know that I have to perform every movement so precisely and so perfectly, because if not, pain will come. And in order to avoid that pain, my movements needed to be so precise with like the alignment that was right for my body in order to keep moving through the practice. And that in itself kept my, pre kept my focus inwards and kept my attention really, really present. So a basic practice was appropriate because that was enough for me to accomplish the goal of yoga, you know? Um, so that was another really big takeaway for me in the practice. It's, it's like, you just do whatever you need to do to keep the attention coming inwards and coming inwards and coming inwards and keep moving energy through the body. So in general, some of, some of, the, some of the general things I took away from having these experiences with injury and some like, so, some, you know, rules of thumb for myself whenever I, I reach a point where I feel like not even injured or I just feel like a tweak in my body is there's a few of them um, is don't stop moving. You know, I think this is, and when I work with students who are injured and they're like, I, they want to stop practicing. The first thing I, I, I try to encourage them is to not stop moving. I think like, and however you can modify as much as you need to avoid pain in the body in the body for sure. Um, but don't stop moving. You know, there's a million different types of modifications that you can do to keep moving the body within an asana practice. You know, that you can even do chair yoga. Um, of course, in like extreme situations, you have to completely take rest from asana, which is fine. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's some extreme situations, but I think for the most of us who are coming up against these tweaks and these joint pains, keep moving and modify you know, and, and like your practice may look really different and that's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's still Ashtanga yoga because that's another thing that comes up is I have students that are like, I, I injured myself and I can't do this posture. Am I still practicing Ashtanga yoga? And the answer is yes. You're still practicing Ashtanga yoga because your intention is there and your deeper intention of yoga is there. So that's why, you know, that's why I encourage you to do some digging. Like what is yoga? Why are you practicing yoga? Um, so that's one, don't stop moving, like keep the energy moving through the body because I, I, I really felt with my shoulder in particular that keeping the energy moving through my body was really important to facilitate the healing in my shoulder that kept energy moving and that like avoided any stagnation. I think, you know, I, you know, actually with my shoulder, I think I stopped practicing for one week. So I was like, I'm curious to see if this will help. And I, it didn't, it, I, I think it got worse. Actually, I think the pain got worse. And as soon as they started moving, it started to feel a little bit better. So I was like, okay, I need to keep moving energy through that part of my body without bringing on the pain. Okay, and then another thing was that's been useful is to have a second practice to fall back on. So for me, during my second injury, it was pranayama. 
And now it's more, it's meditation more for me. So, and I, and I kind of, you know, and I have a daily meditation practice, but the days that I'm super exhausted because I have something going on outside of my life, uh, I mean, outside my practice, um, or because I have a tweak in my body from something, then I have meditation to fall back on so that I still feel like I'm, you know, I'm not feel like I still have my, I, a complete daily practice without overusing my body. So the days that I'm super exhausted, maybe I'll do a shorter practice and a longer seated meditation. Or, you know, so I kind of like accommodate, like, accommodated it like that. I don't, you know, I'm, I get, like my, like something I struggle with the most in the practice is my endurance. Like getting through my full practice sometimes is really, really hard. And sometimes it's just me being lazy. And sometimes I actually have a reason because, you know, there's a lot going on in my life, either physically, emotionally, whatever it is. So I have that seated meditation to still keep me coming back inwards and keep me fulfilling the goal of yoga without overusing my body. So that was another thing that's been really useful for me. And maybe pranayama is a good one for you, you know, and, you know, and this kind of points to the idea that there's so many types of yoga out there, so many different styles of yoga. My chosen style is Ashtanga yoga, but I've kind of added on to that over the years. I've added on meditation. And before I was doing, I don't practice pranayama so much these days, but I have that as a tool if I ever need to fall back on it. You know, I think that's important. Um, to kind of have just something to fall back on so that you can keep practicing yoga in some form. Um, okay. And for me, another tool that I have to fall back on is primary series. So if primary series is your practice, that's your practice. If you're working on a more advanced um, sequence, like intermediate series, uh, primary series has been whenever I feel like I tweak something, I just do primary series for a week and then my body kind of like recalibrates. So that's been a tool for me is primary series. It's like if I ever feel an injury coming on, because now I listen to those like warning signals and those red flags, because you're, you know, usually when you get an injury within the practice, sometimes it's like sudden. It's like you do one movement and you just break something. Sometimes it's gradual and it builds up slowly over time. So really using your discriminative awareness and, and judging like, is that pain good or is that pain bad? Is that, if that pain is bad, then step back. So sometimes that stepping back for me is just coming back into primary series to like reset the body, recalibrate the body. And I really feel like that kind of restores some of the energy and some of the, um, some of the pains that I'm feeling. Um, and I think, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and so my primary series for me can be, if primary series for me can be like just going back to the basics for you. If you feel like your body is like completely out of whack and you feel like you're about to get an injury, then just going back to the basics and really working the foundational postures and the foundational movement patterns. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure I have other random tangents to go off of, but uh, I want to give you guys a chance to ask some questions and, or you don't have to ask, maybe have like an experience you want to share about an injury you had and some like insights that you got from it. I would love to hear that too. Oh, that's a good question. Oksana, did you do any physical therapy to promote healing? I did actually. So I did very minimal physical therapy. So that's actually really, that was actually a really important part of, so thanks for bringing that up. That was a really important part of my healing process. I, I went to a physical therapist just two times and he gave me some exercises. 
and I would do them and, and it, it would take me like, I think five to 10 minutes, like very minimal. But those, those are really helpful as I was, um, as I was creating new movement patterns. So my, the basis of my new movement pattern came from plank and chaturanga dandasana. So I had a physical therapist who's very familiar with yoga. And so he gave me some, um, some drills, some like yoga drills in order to help create and like ingrain those new movement patterns in my body and in my shoulder. So like basically my shoulder needed to learn a new way of moving and a new way of like existing in the joints. And so the physical therapy, there are some postures and some things that I did that helped to like teach my body that. And that was really helpful. And that was kind of a kind of, that's kind of an extension of like, you know, relearning the basics and relearning the foundations, which, you know, and that takes us in, into a beginner's mind, which I think is so important. If you have, have you ever read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind? It's a super good book. And it talks about just like, approaching everything with a beginner's mind and just unlearning everything you thought you knew and just being like, okay, this is the first time I'm doing plank. What is plank? What is happening in my shoulder? And there's a lot to learn in that process of investigating something for like the first time with no bias attached to it. Yeah, and then, you know, and I was nervous. I mean, that, that was a big thing for me too. I got super nervous that I was never going to practice the shanga again. And then I realized, and it was interesting because it kind of became like um, a self-identity crisis. So I was like, like I, I, so I identified so much with the shanga yoga. Like that was such a big part of my life. So I was like, if I can't practice the shanga yoga, then like, who am I? But the, and that was the good thing to go is it's like, I am not a shanga yoga. Shanga yoga is not me. Like I am more than a shanga yoga. But it was, it was, it was an interesting process to go through. Restorative and modified vinyasa. That's awesome. Restorative is great. I, yeah. And modified vinyasa. And it's so interesting that like, even if you're doing a modified practice, it's like, if you get the same thing out of it, you're tuning in, the mind is focused. And then when you finish the practice, it's like, okay, I still feel like I did after my advance. Maybe I'm a little less sweaty, but mentally and physically, I'm a little bit more at peace, which was important, which is really important. Um, I had a question from Xenia before. What was the hardest part to come back into practice? Was it physically or psychologically difficult? Um, I think I think it was mentally. It was the, coming back into the practice after being injured was mentally hard. Um, just like, you know, pushing through that mental stagnation of, yeah, I'll get to you after, Jody. Coming like pushing through that mental stagnation of getting back into the practice after that time of being off of the mat was super hard mentally, just like being like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wake up early. And also was waking up early because I was doing a really early morning practice during that time. I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to get in my car and I'm drive to practice. And then I wouldn't do it. And that happened for a long, long time. And just also kind of like facing my teacher. You know, I didn't want to face my teacher. I thought he was going to be mad at me for being injured. So it was kind of like that fear of, of having to face my teacher again and just being like embarrassed. I was like, I shouldn't have gotten injured and I shouldn't be this far behind in my practice. So just dealing with all of that stuff that came up was really hard mentally and psychologically. Um, but, you know, looking back in hindsight, I know that getting through all of those mental discomforts was a huge process for me in really solidifying my dedication to the practice. So it was like a sort of tapas a sort of tapas for the practice of like 
getting through and burning through that stagnation and and discomfort not discomfort so burning through that discomfort and coming out to the other side i came out into a side of like a renewed dedication and commitment to the practice um okay jody let's let's tune you in okay hi <laughs> hey um yeah i'm at the point now where my practice is really short and like mm -hmm. you said it like doesn't feel like it's enough mm -hmm. so it's kind of like uh, i don't really want to do it because it's not going to be enough yeah yeah i was curious like do you have like a um suggested pranayama sequence or anything like that, mm. that you, like did after or did you do it before like I would love some advice on yeah. that because I don't really know much about the sequencing of, of it. So yeah, awesome. yeah. So I did it. I did it after, but some people like to do it before. It just depends on your preference. Like with seated meditation, it just it doesn't really matter. Just whatever works better for you. But so what we did is we did like the official Ashtanga Yoga Pranayama sequence, which was taught by Patabi Joyce to Tim Miller, and then Tim Miller taught it to my teacher, and then my teacher taught it to me. So that was a sort of the lineage that. Happens. My our teacher is Mark Linsman, and he was doing Zoom classes, but I'm not sure. I'll follow up on that. That he was doing like Zoom classes for the pranayama sequence, but it's it's a lot of alternate nostril and a lot of retention. So, and that's what was the most in, intense part of the pranayama sequence is the retention. So you do inhale, hold the breath, exhale, hold the breath, inhale, hold. So, and there was a combination of retaining the breath and also breathing in and out through different nostrils. So, I mean, like the combination of things that you can do with retention and alternate, it's like endless, but there's a, a specific sequence. It starts off with, I haven't done it in a few, in a few years, so let me see if I can remember it, but it starts off with um, three inhale retentions and then three exhale retentions. So you do inhale, retain the breath, exhale, inhale, retain the breath, exhale, inhale, retain the breath, exhale. And then you do the same thing with Exhale, retain the breath, inhale, exhale, retain the breath, inhale, exhale, retain the breath, three times. And then you do three breaths with retentions between the inhales and the exhales. And then you go into an alternate nostril. So you do left side, breathing in and out, retaining on the both the inhale and the exhale. And then the right side, breathing in and out, retaining on the inhale and the exhale. And then doing some, and then doing some circular. So, it, so through both nostrils, like switching back and forth between both nostrils, retaining between the inhale and the exhale. And then you go into Bastrika, which is like the, the really forceful one. And then you, and then you do that. So you do like 50 of those. And then you take a long breath in and then you hold the breath as long as you can. So it depends on the teacher how long you hold it. But it's interesting, like after you do that bastrika, you really warm up the lungs and your inhale retention can last like way longer than you ever thought possible. And you do that three times and then you do sitali, which is with the, the tongue curled and that's like a cooling pranayama. So after all of those pranayamas, your body gets super warm. So the sitali kind of cools down the breath. And then you do a bunch of pranayama chants and then that's it. And that takes about 45 minutes. And it's like amazing. It really like brings you into the body. You even start to sweat a little bit and it takes you to your edge. You know how asana kind of takes you to your edge? That pranayama sequence takes you to like a different kind of edge. 
And what was cool about having a pranayama practice during that time was that when I came back into my asana practice, I felt like I had a more intimate understanding of the breath and how to move the body, how to move the breath through the body in an asana practice. So I felt like it directly um, benefited my asana practice and I was able to like settle more into my asanas since I had a more intimate understanding of how to use the breath. So it was, it was amazing. And I, I think at some point in my life, I will go back into a, like a really intense pranayama practice. Right now I'm just really into meditation, but yeah, it's hard. I'm like, I can't do meditation, pranayama and asana. Like I kind of have other things to do, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I, I, I'll look for a, like a reference for you, Jody, and I'll send it to you. That would be awesome. So if you want to, yeah. So if you want to like follow along to it, I'm sure there's something out there. I'll find something that is close to the one that I did and see if, okay. if you like it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of just like a distraction. So I wasn't like so obsessed with the fact that I couldn't do yoga. It's like, okay, go do pranayama. Stop thinking yeah. about the fact that you can't do third series. Nobody really cares. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That'd but it was great. interesting. Cool. Yeah. I'll send that to you. <laughs> Um, but it was really interesting to notice that, like, I was like, I need more than 20 minutes. My brain is too crazy. My mind is, my mind needs more than 20 minutes to like, for it to be controlled. You know, I feel like, yeah, I was, and I was like, maybe that makes me a beginner, essentially. Like, I feel like, and then I went down this whole rabbit hole, like, is that what it means to be an advanced practitioner? Is that you only need 20 minutes to get into that state? You know, like maybe that's what being an advanced practitioner is, is that can, they can go into that yoga state in like a second. And I was like, I need more than 20 minutes. So maybe that makes me a beginner. You know, I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about what's a beginner and what's an advanced practitioner. It's like, how many tools do you need to like control your mind? Is it something that you can do like right away? Or is it something that you need to like ease into and build yourself into, you know? Let me see if I have any other questions. Um, Xenia, she injured her tibia in Lotus five years ago. It lasted about two years. And then she met with a teacher who they practice 30 minutes meditations daily sitting in Vajrasana. Um, you're, I'm guessing your feet would fall asleep during these practices, but the blood stopped, the blood stopped cured the injury. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. So you, so by stopping the energy in that position, the seated meditation, and then coming out of it, you know, sometimes that's because when you stop the blood supply and then you and then you allow it to happen again, you get like fresh blood and fresh energy moving through uh, an injury space. And that can kind of like renew the stagnation there and move out the stagnation there. So that's another really interesting way of looking at it, you know, like creating movement within the body, but through a different perspective by sitting in a way that it stops the blood supply. Yeah, that happens to me too. My feet fall asleep and when I'm meditating. And then when I stand up, I just feel like the blood rushing back there. And it's like fresh blood and fresh energy going back into that space. Do you recommend to practice yin yoga with an injury? I, you know, I, I, I used to practice a lot of yin yoga and it's, it's really hard, actually. I think if you are doing yin yoga with an injury, you need to be really careful with the joints because sometimes you get into some positions in, and you know, this is, this might not this might not be the most well-informed opinion because I haven't practiced in yoga regularly in a long time. But from what I remember is that you're you you go you go into position you hold it for a long time and sometimes that can leave the joints in vulnerable in a vulnerable place. 
So if you are doing yin yoga with an injury, I would just make sure to like really pay attention to the joint that's injured and just see if any pain starts to come up, then like prop it up, use props and modify a little bit. But I would just be careful with um, the joints in yin yoga because you're there for so long. So maybe you can come into like more of a vulnerable space in the joints. So I think, I think, yeah, I think it, yin yoga can totally help. It can help, like we were saying before, it can help move new energy through certain parts of the body, but I would just be careful. I mean, with any movement modality with an injury, just being careful and just like really tuning in and really using that discriminative awareness of like, is that good pain or is that a bad pain? The rule of thumb with pain is if it's in the joints, if you feel sharpness or pain in the joints, then that's not good pain. If you feel any discomfort or maybe you want to label it as pain in between the joints, so like in the meat of a muscle, then that's, that's okay pain. That's just the muscle stretching or the muscles building strength. Okay, I have another question here. Um, that's a good question. So, once you once you realize you have some patterns that aren't good and that might result in injury so you haven't gotten injured yet but you have some patterns and you're like okay this might lead to an injury is the best thing for you to just go back to the basics on your own and try to figure it out or do you think it's better to immediately go to uh, a professional um, for professional advice physiotherapy or so so i think um if you're not injured yet i don't think you need to seek out any other any um any outside sources other than your teacher i think yeah if you have a teacher definitely going to your teacher and asking them to help you repattern any movements within your practice um but taking a step back just the fact that you've identified that a pattern isn't good is like huge you know i've seen so many advanced practitioners who have sloppy patterns and maybe i'm just being too picky but who, who, who don't have like, you know, right technique and not even right alignment. Cause I think alignment is very individualized. There's not like one alignment that everybody should be, you know, reaching for. I think alignment can be a very individualized concept, but some um, advanced practitioners who have movement patterns that will very clearly lead them into injury. So just the fact that you've been like, you've come to the, you've, you've had enough self-awareness to realize okay, what I'm doing over time will not hold up. I want this to be a lifelong sustainable practice. And in order to do that, I need to create patterns that will carry me through the rest of my life. Just the fact of coming to that realization is really big, a really big deal. So good on you for like having that and just, and, and also wanting to work in the basics. It's a lot of work to reestablish new patterns. It's so hard to repattern, you know, because what you have, it's not just teaching yourself something new. It's, unteaching yourself something that's so deeply ingrained, erasing that, and then teaching yourself something new. It's hard. It's a lot of work, and it takes a lot of um, awareness and a lot of uh, discriminative awareness. So it's, it's hard. So congratulations on even wanting to go back to the basics and reestablish patterns, because that's hard work. And I've you know, I've worked with a lot of students who are just like, I'm not interested. I don't want to repattern that movement. So, and I'm just like, at the point, I'm like, okay, I mean, it's your practice. So at the end of the day, you make your practice, what you want to make it. If it's working for you and you're happy with it, then that's totally fine. So just the fact that you want to go back 
and reestablish old patterns is huge. But I think that's one of the purposes of yoga. One of the reasons why we're doing this is to unlearn unhealthy things and relearn healthy things. And that goes way beyond just movement patterns. Okay. I don't know if I finished answering your question. So I, I would say, you know, you go, you seek outside help as an outside your yoga teacher when you start to have injury. Like I have a chiropractor I really like. I go to her a lot. If you're in Miami, I'd, I would be happy to give you her contact. So when I feel like I'm out of balance and I have a tweak that hasn't gone away in like two weeks, I'll go to her and she'll kind of adjust me back into alignment. Sometimes the practice does that. Sometimes my practice just readjusts my body back into alignment and I'm good. And sometimes I need to go and like seek outside help. Um, but yeah, and then uh, physical therapy was what I chose when I got really, really injured. Let me read the other questions. Okay, so we have quite open hips, but six months ago she injured the knee. Okay, yes, you already gave me this question. So once easy poses like Maritasana and Janashasana became possible, any external rotation of the knees brings sharp pain. I was wondering whether you have any advice for me to practice the primary series with some alternatives. Also, any suggestions to injuries? Yeah. So I've actually, I've also had some time where my knee, I hurt my knee and it wasn't, it wasn't an injury. It was just uh, like the muscles on the outside of my knee got really strained. And this comes up a lot in Ashtanga yoga in um, coming into the lotus position where the knee kind of starts to feel bothered. Um, a lot of the times, not all the time, but a lot of the times it's because you've reached the limit of flexibility in the hip. So lotus position is a really deep external rotation. So once you reach the limit of flexibility in the hip rotation, then the body will look for some, if you keep forcing yourself into a position, the body's like, okay, well, you really want to go into this position. Where else in the body can I find somewhere to rotate to get you into this position? So if you reach the limit in the hip, the body usually goes to the next closest joint and that's the knee. So they're like, okay, I can't rotate anymore in the knee. So I'm going to start to rotate in the, in the, in, I mean, I can't rotate anymore in the hip. So I'm going to start to rotate in the knee in order to get into that lotus position and to finish that external rotation through the leg. So the only problem is that the knee doesn't like to rotate. So that's where sometimes the knee pain can come from. So the rotation needs to come from the hip. And if you've reached the limit of flexibility in the hip, then you stop there and maybe your lotus just needs to be a little bit modified. If you've gotten to the point where you already have uh, pain in the knee, I would, I would recommend just modifying. So some modifications for my, for my is you just don't go into lotus. You just put the foot underneath the knee. If the knee is propped up, you know, you put the foot underneath and you don't go into lotus. So if you have pain in the knee, I would recommend just don't do lotus. I, I think I, I had that pain in the knee and I just didn't do Lotus for a, like three months or something. And then it got better by just not going into Lotus. And one thing that I, I had this huge fear, I was like, if I stop doing Lotus, I'm going to lose all my hip flexibility. And that was not true. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. You'll, 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 your body will still be able to move. Maybe it'll be a little bit harder to get into leg behind the head if that's part of your practice, but your body remembers and it'll, you'll, you'll slowly work back into it, into that. So, and I just did, you know, modify on one side and I can't remember if I modified on my healthy side or kept doing, I think I kept doing Lotus on my, on my healthy side and just modified on my right side. And I was scared that I was going to be super imbalanced and I was going to just like fall off the wagon because I was so imbalanced and that wasn't true either. <laughs> so, yeah, so just modify. 
And yeah, and be careful with the knee. I was going to say something else about that. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, so just don't go into Lotus, basically. And you won't, you won't lose hip flexibility because even Johnny Shushasana, oh, I remember now. Even Johnny Shushasana is a hip rotation. It's not as deep as Lotus, but you're still working in the hip. Um, another thing you can do for knee injury is place uh, like a, a thin towel um, under in the, let me see if I can point this, underneath the, in the knee, underneath the knee joint. So you put like a, a towel here like that. And that just kind of gives the joint a little bit more space. So that's really helped me. Like putting a thin towel, like roll up a towel or a strap sometimes has helped. Um, and you just put it on the full, in the inside fold of your knee. That kind of, that, that really helps with knee injuries if you need that. Even in Janu Shushasana. Also in Janu Shushasana, you can prop up the knee with a block if it's too much pressure on the knee to bring the knee all the way down to the floor. That's super helpful. Okay, let me look at another question. Oh, that's a good one. So if you're injured, but during the practice, the pain doesn't come up, only afterwards again, would you recommend continuing to practice or not? Um, that's a good question. You know, if it were me, I would probably keep practicing because it sounds like the practice is helping. Is the pain worse after you practice or is it the same? You know, if it's worse after you, after you practice, then maybe the practice is making it worse. But if it's, if it's the same, then it sounds like the practice is alleviating the pain for the mo for momentarily. So is the pain worse after practicing? It's the same. Okay. So it's not getting better. That's interesting. I think, I think you would need to dig a little bit deeper. Um, or, or, you know, maybe just try experimenting. So wherever the injury is, modify as if you are experiencing pain through the practice. So if you're, for example, if your knee is injured, even if you don't feel the pain in the practice, modify as if you were feeling the pain and try that for a week. And then see if, has, does the pain get better after practice or does the pain get worse after practice? Um, if it stays the same, then maybe the pain has nothing to do with how you're practicing. You know, I think that's an impor important thing to figure out is, is your injury, is, how is the injury and the practice related? You know, is the practice making the injury worse or is the practice making the injury better? And if it's making it worse, then maybe you just accommodate the practice and see if that changes the results of the injury a little bit. So, and you know, one of my theories was, you know, in order to make the injury better, I need to stop practicing. And then for me, I realized that's not true. I need to keep practicing to make the injury better. With the injuries I've experienced so far, but maybe an injury is like such an extreme situation where you need to stop practicing. So I think it's just finding that balance and experimenting. So for a week and, and you know experiment for like if you pick so like pick something and do that for like two weeks do so you have like solid data to evaluate you know if you just do it one day and then you feel like you you can't really come to a conclusion so try something for two weeks either modifying or not modifying and then evaluating how your body reacts to it you know it'll be the injuries are, are more of a time to 
they can be like a mirror, you know, they can be something to like reflect our, our weaknesses, our shortcomings from. So if you get injured, it's something that you were, you know, you you had a bad movement pattern or, or maybe it was an accident. It's not your, not that it's your fault, but it's just something to observe. It's not, it's not placing the blame outside of yourself. It's not blaming the teacher or blaming the practice. It's just an opportunity to be, well, what did I do wrong? Like, where did I go wrong? And how can I improve that, so that I don't do that again? So I think kind of, so, you know, transferring this kind of idea and this kind of knowledge over to your students is really important. So that if they're rooted in the deeper intention of yoga, when they get injured, they won't want to quit because they'll be like, okay, I can still do yoga even though I'm injured. So I think just really instilling that in your students is important from the beginning. You know, that yoga is here for a deeper purpose than the postures so that when they get injured, they won't just quit because they blame yoga on the, uh, they blame yoga for their injury. It's not yoga's fault. Um, but I mean, and, and anything that you're using your body, like you're going to get injured. Our bodies are, you know, they're like these imperfect, beautiful working things. And if you use it, you know, we're not perfect. So it's gonna, our imperfections might express themselves through tweaks and injuries. And that's okay. That's totally okay. And that's the thing that's been a big lesson for me is that if you get injured, it's okay. It's not, it's not something to be like embarrassed about or something to be ashamed of or something to, you know, find somewhere to place the blame on. It's okay. It's part of being human. We get injured and that's fine, you know? So I think just like establishing that culture as a student is important. Uh, I just want to share like my experience. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure, so, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, also a Ashtanga practitioner and I teach uh, Ashtanga in New Orleans and um, I've been practicing for six years and um, it's kind of like was funny for me because I did the training with certified teacher on primary series and second series and mm -hmm. like she wanted me like she suggested me to teach you know like but if my practice was just like primary and after like I moved into second pre pretty quickly so I had like a few um, major injuries uh, the first one happened with my shoulder when I was working I think in Kapatasana and I practiced with a few different teachers at the time and I was kind of blaming the teacher like you know when the injury happened because like mm -hmm. they pull your arms like too far you know and like my left shoulder it's something once one teacher pulled my arms so far that when I come out of the pose I couldn't feel my arms completely were well, like numb you know mm -hmm. like and then like my left shoulder was very tweaky and always like and it was painful I couldn't raise my arms you know like yeah, and I didn't find like a good massage therapist, like body work, and he did like 10 sessions massage, and the pain has gone, and he told me not to stop practicing. This is what happened with shoulder, but it's still much more tighter. I never checked it really, like if it was anything torn, or, but I, I feel there is some kind of, you know, instability since then, but I still managing like to work through this 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 and it doesn't hurt it's almost like tightness you know mm -hmm. then I had an injury with my wrist when um one of my teachers she would like you know like they used to press your hands all the way down like I don't mm -hmm. know like, she would, like press my hands in presarita holding my pinkies so they wouldn't come off and it would put the pressure on my tendon here 
and I didn't really communicate at the time. Like I didn't like think, you know, more, usually in my story you practice like in silence, you know, you, so I did feel the pain in there, but I didn't say anything to her. Like, and she would keep assisting me until I started to notice that I've got the pain and it hurt even in plants, you know, and, um, and after when I, if I would assist students, I, like it would get worse so i went to check out and they said that i had like a partly torn tendon there <laughs> so i had to like wear almost like a cast for two weeks and have a cortisone shot but you know it's healed it's healed on its own i didn't do any even therapy place you know but i did like some like warm up for the reason before practice because it still feels weaker than my healthy you know when you injure something this always will be not 100 percent. you know like it will heal but it will never be like the same you know like i don't know if you feel like this money yeah or not. yeah you yeah. have to find a new way of working with you know that yeah, part of your body like mm -hmm. always a little like you will feel like you have to be really careful <laughs> with that yeah. and then like i injured my knee um pretty bad <laughs> but i was practicing and i was like Stressed and it was lots of it's I think it's also important when you practice and there's lots of stress in your life sometimes you like pushing through and like not listening and I, like I've had lots of like my friend was sick with cancer I had lots of going on and I fell out with another friend it was like lots of on my mind and it was like sort of some transitions in my life and there was lots of stress in my practice and I felt like I need to prove something through my practice and that post garbage condensing in primary series was quite hard for me, but um, I thought I'm so sweaty, I will just pull my arms through. And I was like in yoga pants and not in shorts, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I really forced my arms. And I, I didn't want to go and use a spray or anything, so it was really completely my fault. And when I was rocking back, I felt it put the pressure on my right knee. And I, I kind of like would never go and check out. I mean, they had sometimes sensation in my knee, you know, when I practice hard lotus and after it's like one week or two, it goes away. It's kind of heals on its own, you know, but that one like stick for three months. And I mean, I was already tired because it was constantly like pain. I couldn't, like I was still practicing hard lotus, but it was pain all the time after the practice, you know, it was mm. pain. And it was getting worse. So I thought like, I have to go and check it out because it's not healing, you know? So I went first to chiropractor and she did like a dry needling and some heat and cold therapy, you know, like different types. And it didn't heal after 10 sessions. So she said, you need to go and get MRI. <laughs> so I did. And uh, they, they said that I turned find out that I have like abnormality in my knees because it has it's not like a, like a moon shape like not crescent shape but like a moon shape a discoid and it was completely torn <laughs> so yeah. it was like completely torn and of course like they said oh you have to go and check out now the surgeon because it might not heal on its own because it's the cartilage is not healing it's only healing on outside and when it's discoid like that cartilage doesn't heal doesn't grow back you need to do surgery, you know, and, and I was like a yoga teacher, you know, and also my practice was, I couldn't already do half lotus anything. So I was like in crisis, you know, I was like, oh my God, if I will have to do surgery, I will be out from my life for three months because I will not be able to walk even, I will have to walk, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. learn, learn how to walk and do rehab. 
I thought, no, I don't want to do surgery. Like, even though they told me like I have to do it yesterday, I, I just decided that to do physical therapy. And I noticed that physical therapy was really helping. They identified that my muscles was really weak around my knee joint, like quadricep wasn't firing at all. And they said I didn't have like any support for the meniscus for my muscles. Like they were completely shut down. And when I started to strengthen in the muscles around the knee, uh, with the physical exercise therapy, you know, that started to really help. And um, yes, and that exercise, they told me like to buy, you know, to use recumbent bike. I even bought at home recumbent bike, <laughs> so I could bike. And I also started to do some reformer pilates just additionally to my practice, uh, which has really helped my legs got really strong and pain after one month of just doing those additional strengthening exercises is completely gone. And um, I started to try to do half lotus and how I would start to do it. I would start to do it very, very gentle, just a little bit. So no negative sensation. And when you would start to like to have a little bit sensation, I would support my knee. I would hold it just a little bit for five breaths and breathe into it and release. And then notice this time, like probably through month after that. But that that process all took took me like almost two years, <laughs> to be honest. Like to complete, like be pain free. Like mm. and I still practice in second series completely too. So I was just the primary. Um, when the wrist was, I was doing on four arms planks. When the half lotus, it took me like telling you two years, and I'm still being very careful, but. The pain has gone and I'm doing like once a week, a little bit of those rehab exercises still just to keep my quadriceps up. It's strong, but I feel like now when I came back already to second series, like those back bends is also very helping to strengthen the hamstrings. And, you know, also like I start to notice, like I never paid attention before to standing sequence, how the, those standing poses are also like really strengthening the muscle. I never like focused on that before, but now I'm noticing like if you like not bending your knee, but more trying to strengthen that quadricep, you know, it's really, I think like helping in, you know, helping to strengthen the, those important muscles to support joint. But so finally before injury, I never noticed that before. So in some way, like I got stronger after injury in, in some way. But it, and I'm just slowly coming back to second series, but it took me like two years. And I just want to just tell you, like, if you have some injury, like, don't get discouraged because I'm very glad that I didn't listen to surgeon. I think surgeons always want to do surgery. Like, and the movement was the best medicine for me. Like, I've, I remember, like, I couldn't walk without pain, like a circle around the park. I would have to sit and wait until pain will go away from me. It was, I was all the time wearing brace you know, it was just, I was feeling like so miserable, you know, it was a very hard time in my life, you know, and, yeah. but eventually, like, I also have to change my diet. Uh, I have to mention that because I was eating eggs and dairy, and after I found out that they causing actually inflammation in the joints and causing the pain, and I went, like, plant-based, and it's really helped to, like, completely plant-based, it's included any dairy, any eggs, and I was drinking like celery juice. Like I know if you know that movement of celery juice, it's really like helped me to um, just basically juicing like freshly squeezed juices. Like it's really yeah. helped me. Yeah. yeah, and you just reminded me of the thing that I wanted to say was yeah. um, <laughs> the food I eat made a big difference in like the aches and pains in my body. So, yeah. and yeah, and that kind of points to, you know, a lot of the times, 
I, I, I find that students are like analyzing their practice so much to find what they're doing wrong to cause a certain pain. And it's just like, maybe it's outside your practice. When we're practicing, we're so conscious and we're so tuned into the body. And then when we're not practicing, we're, we're using our bodies really like mindlessly. And maybe that's where you're creating the bad patterns that are causing the imbalance. And it can be just like walking, the way you walk is crooked, or it can be like the way you sit. Like right now I'm sitting like this, which with one knee up. And my chiropractor has told me a million times that that creates imbalance in my pelvis, so I'm gonna switch my position. <laughs> but I'm so used to sitting like that and I'll be on the computer for hours sitting like that. And, and it's like, that's what, it's like not your, your practice, you're super conscious and you're moving super intelligently. So look outside your practice and how you're using your body and maybe that's what, that's, that can be the source of some tweaks in the practice. And that was kind of mind-blowing. I was like, oh, I have to look outside the practice. But it seems obvious. But then like in your food and what you eat, like avoiding foods that cause inflammation. I, you know, I did, I did like a super intense seven-day cleanse uh, recently and like all my aches and pains went away. I eliminated uh, caffeine sugars, processed sugars, um, um, nightshades, so there's a group of vegetables that cause inflammation, dairy, and like any breads, any sort of, you know, and like, I feel like all the inflammation in my body went away, and all my pains and aches went away. So yeah, looking outside your practice too is really helpful. Yeah. Thanks for reminding also me of that. Like, I was, like, also, like, blaming myself why I, like, I did practice on the day if I wouldn't practice. I mean, it took me, like, it changed my life for two years, you know, like, you know, like, it was so hard mentally, like, to change your practice. Mm -hmm. um, but after, like, in the end, it actually gave me, like, more compa compassion and understanding to beginners, you know, and, mm. like, you know, I started to understand, like, those, you know, people who like not that physically able you know it's like gave me more compassion and understanding to other students and practitioners who had the, the also like pains and aches because uh, aches you know in the body and uh, when I was practicing the half lotus I just want to mention that that um, there's some physical therapists say if you have some pain after exercise for the next 24 or 48 hours it's okay you still can practice you know, if it goes away, uh, this, this is what they said, that you can do that movement because it's just a part of you, your body will always get a little achy, you know, we're also getting old, you know, it's, it's normal, you know, but if it's like stays longer than a week, then they said like you have to be looking into it. Yeah, but if it goes away, like, and I was looking into my knee when I was doing, come back doing half lotus and I was using it, I started to use a towel, you know, because before I couldn't flex my knee completely, I would keep it a little bit open, but after I would, you know, put a towel, so I start to work on that flexion of the knee back, because this is, was the most painful, flexing the knee, mm. like, do the kasana, or like, you know, how lotus would be hurting, so, and then it's slowly like the inflammation of the joint has gone like when I strengthen my muscles change my diet and slowly slowly like give it really time it was two years you know it's a long time uh yeah. so it, like gave it completely you know heal and 
I think it's very good because I think if I would do injury, I, I talk to other people and I've read a lot because I was really researching because I was already on the age when pain wasn't going away. I was really starting to think maybe I should do surgery because it's not healing, you know. But I started to do that um, strengthening like reformer pilates like twice a week and this has really like helped me and, and pain just went away because I think I was more consistent with that. And it was more like fun. So I, yeah. it was... Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. I yeah. like. I hear it was like a hard and long process. Yeah, it but, was. I was. But, yeah. It was also at the time when Patavi Joyce pain also happened, and it was so mm. much. Lots of obstacles. Like, yeah. yeah, a lot I, of obstacles I, to come through. But, but congratulations I, I, for getting through it. That's yeah. that's big. That's huge. I, you know what I thought like. I cannot stop doing Ashtanga because this is the only practice which makes me feel like whole. I don't know. Like yeah, even yeah, I hear you. Me too. Yeah. But you so, know, it's interesting to hear your experience and notice how you kind of use your own tools like modifying physical therapy, diet. Those are different tools you can use and you created your own pathway. And I, I think, and, and it's cool to, you know, evaluate and figure out what your pathway is based on different tools that you can use. And we've mentioned a ton of them today, but it's I, just figuring out which ones to use. Go ahead. I want to mention one more thing. I was also using a meditation in prayer for healing. It's really helped me. Mm. I was always con saying constantly to myself, it's healing, it's healing. And right, like, so visualization is a really good tool also. Meditation that yeah. it's going to heal. It's for, you know, it's, it's not like mm -hmm. you go back into the negative, like just, oh, it's not healing, so frustrating. I was just, it's going to heal. It just takes that, you know, it was a really emotional process, but. Yeah, it was, it's so like, emotional, I know. I believe it's going to heal. And when it's like mm -hmm. painted, then I was like this feeling this, this, you know, feeling of happiness. Oh my God, that's healing. It's like, it may, it's like a miracle, you know, because yeah, yeah. You, sometimes it's never going to happen but yeah like, you know, so that works visualization works really well for certain people and some people are it doesn't work but yeah so you use the tools that are used that you can connect with for sure yeah. and it's a lot of trial and error too you try something and you're like okay that didn't work and you try something else and this is when it, it's useful to have a teacher you know so and a teacher who's like well informed with you know Alexander Santos is a teacher who's super well informed with injuries and like recovering. So working with a teacher is is super helpful of, of like finding out the perfect recipe to recover from your injury. You know. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. when I feel achy, like I'm on on stars, Kina has some meditations for healing. I like to listen to those too. That's you know. Oh, it's just perfect. Yeah, some guided meditations that you can use. Yeah. 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 Just visualizing. And, and like, you know, creating certain thought patterns in your brain that will affect the body, hopefully. Cool. There is one thing that I, that I, um, I'll answer that at the end, Zinia. There's one thing that you also said that at the beginning where, you know, the teacher brought you into the, into the posture and gave you an adjustment that you think gave you an injury. And let me just stop here for a moment. I know we're past one o'clock. So if anybody needs to go, feel free to go. Um, I'm sorry that I'm going over, but I mean, feel free to stay off, of course. But, and this kind of, and I'm not going to go too much, this is a big conversation to have about adjustments and getting injured. That's a huge conversation. And actually, maybe not so relevant these times since no one's really getting adjusted during quarantine. But, and I think this is where it becomes really important to communicate with the teacher. And I think a lot of this responsibility lies on the teacher. 
And if I might go as far as to say that I think this is a little bit of a flaw in the Ashtanga yoga culture, that I think the teacher needs to take more of the responsibility of creating a space where the student feels that they can speak up when they feel like the adjustment the teacher is giving them is doesn't feel good in their body. I think I think a lot of students have been scared to speak up. And that's something that I think needs to change in the culture of Ashtanga yoga. You know, there's this like feeling in the Mysore room that you can't say anything or you can't say that what I mean, the teacher knows best. So if the teacher is giving me the adjustment, even if it doesn't feel good in my body, then they should just do it. And I don't think that's okay. I think if something doesn't feel good in your body, it's your practice, then there needs to be the space where we feel comfortable enough to say that. So I just wanted to lightly touch on that because that, I mean, that can lead to a lot of injury for sure. Just getting a bad adjustment. I've heard it so many times. So yeah, so having that open communication with your teacher is super, and feeling safe in that space is super important. Um, yeah. Any other questions? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of, and obviously, you know, we've, we've, that's been brought up a lot that a lot of the culture in Ashtanga yoga maybe isn't the best. And maybe that can be improved. And that's nothing to say that, you know, Ashtanga yoga is wrong and bad. We need to start practicing Ashtanga yoga. I think the culture just maybe needs to be adapted to better serve the students. But that's part of everything, just making things better. I think we all are experiencing that in like the world. How can we be better to just like better serve each other in a more effective way? Cool. Are there any last questions? Oh, Zinia asked me if um, we were going to keep teaching online during the past lockdown. And yes, we are. So we are opening up the Mysore room in Miami this last week. This week, I'm going to start teaching it. But we will keep still keep doing the Zoom classes, which is super fun. Um, I'm going to keep teaching uh, Ashtanga for Beginners on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where like I get I really break down things because as you can hear, I'm like obsessed with like the foundations and the, and the basics of postures. So I really get into that in those classes. It's Tuesdays and Thursdays at 530 and that's on Zoom. And I'm going to keep doing those as I, I guess as as long as we keep the Zoom classes, which I think we're going to keep them for a while because people seem to really like them and we're able to connect with so many students from all over the place. So we're definitely going to keep those. And I also have a, a, a free YouTube class on Sundays. That's at 10. So the Zoom classes are part of like you, you pay for those classes. You can get 30 days for $30 for the Zoom classes. And then my YouTube Sunday classes are free. And you can sign on through Miami Life Center. Yeah, if you go to MiamiLifeCenter.com, and then there's a tab of online classes. You will have all the instructions there to sign up for those classes. And if you run into any issues, because some people were getting confused with them, just reach out to me and, I'll, and I'll, I'll help you figure it out. Cool. I think that's it. If you guys have any, any other questions come up for you after this, feel free to reach out and ask me. Um, thank you guys so much for spending some time with me on your Sunday.